Oh gosh, where are we? <laughs> this is... Okay, back to it. <laughs> Welcome to our enthusiastically crappy podcast with Raising Luminaries. I'm Aisha Ray, and this is Season 3, Summer is for Action. Um, so last episode, uh, we shared a trick to work through despair, inertia, and apathy when faced with overwhelming injustice, which I feel is timely. Wow. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, we're talking about transforming our helplessness into change-making. So to follow along that with that route, the next logical sequence of events is we just, we just keep going, keep moving. Um, so in this episode, we are going to collect ourselves amidst the unrelenting shitstorm of current events, um, particularly for parents who are freaking the fuck out about targeted genders and uterus havers losing our right to health care and bodily autonomy, while still gasping for air amid the pandemic, uh, rising living expenses, mass shootings, unnatural disasters driven by climate change, continued uh, systemic racism, ableism, and all kinds of all of those isms. <laughs> uh, and what's, what's going to be different uh, about this as opposed to, I don't know, the flood of what should we do, do now articles is that I have no interest in shaming you into not doing something earlier um yeah that that like you should have you should have joined us before yes I feel that um I do feel frustrated frequently but this is a choice this work is a choice so we're not doing that we're not shaming people who didn't get up and do enough earlier and most of that is because um this idea that it's on individuals to get up and um sustain and survive in a society that's designed to kill us and use us and weaponize power against us. Um, suggesting that we didn't do enough, um, that's just going to fall really hard on the people who are already doing everything they can, and it's just going to fly right through the ears of the people who really could have been doing something the whole time and just didn't. So <laughs> ah, that's what I got for you. Okay. So we're just going to, um, we're going to equip ourselves with the tools we need to get through today, um, to gather our wits and to keep going so we can secure rights for our children and grandchildren. And I know, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court decision to completely revoke our access to our freedom and rights to reproductive healthcare agency and choice, we knew this was coming, um, we knew that this is this is a fight that is not something that it is one and done. It just and it sucks. And yet still, and yet still, it kind of it's hard to drag yourself through the day, right? Because wave after wave of legislation pre preventing us from caring for our trans and non-binary kids and providing them with the health care they need, the education they need, um, inadequate, frankly, inadequate inadequate kind of tokenized legislation um, that's barely chipping away at the problem of mass shootings and the glory of gun culture in the U.S. All of that feels like, you know, like when you get hit by a wave and it knocks you down and then just as you're starting to get up or even before you can even think about getting up, another wave hits you and it just, it feels like drowning. But luckily, we've been doing this long enough We've been in this kind of situation before where we, we can hold space for the generations for whom this is completely new and terrifying. Um, and we can, we can be the people who, who guide them on to the next thing and the next thing and help them keep fighting. So 
uh, today it's just me. Um, you know, in our in our winter incubator, uh, I think that was season one. We focus on retreat, reorienting, restructuring, repair, and then recommitting. And what's lovely is um, Bellamy is doing that right now. So she, unfortunately, she can't join us for the podcast. But uh, Bellamy has reached a she's moved to a safe place where she can finally start that process of retreat and reorientation, restructuring, repair, and so on. So she's going radio silence for the time being. Um, but at the same time, the heat waves caused by climate change, uh, personal and community tragedy, um, relapse from chronic illness, single parenting in an ongoing pandemic while supporting kids against anti-black racism and school shootings and the re-traumatization that just lurks around every corner uh, means that sometimes if we're going to be doing this work, we need to take breaks. And unfortunately, taking breaks in a capitalist economy that is designed to keep you at the bare minimum or below a living wage in the first place means you just can't afford to do that. So I encourage everyone to go to revolutionaryhumans.com, join the When We Gather um, monthly membership, or if you just don't have the bandwidth, you cannot take any more emails, go to revolutionaryhumans.com and then hit that tip jar and just donate a little bit, $2, $5, $1,000, just so Bellamy can keep sustaining throughout all of these issues and more. Um, So that way they can get back to baseline, provide what they need for their community, um, provide what they need for their kids, and then, you know, survive. Anyway, so... It is with joy and hope that we encourage Bellamy's radio silence while they work on when we gather and just, you know, recentering, but also uh, let's support that with dollars. (laughs) Okay. Um, And meanwhile, so that's just me on the podcast this season. And if you want to laugh real hard at terrible things with me and just be goofy, hit me up at 781-342-0486 and tell me what you're panicking about. And maybe we can find a way to laugh at it. I don't know. Would that be mean? I don't want to be mean about it. I won't be mean. I promise not to be mean. (laughs) Okay. We can laugh about the problem without laughing at the victims of the problem. Okay. Um, So in in this season, we are DIYing our own summer parent activist accelerator. And the goal of this is to integrate your parenting and activism initiatives, right? So instead of doing two separate things and then more on top of it, we're just tweaking what we do already. Um, And in order to do that, we need to maintain focus despite feeling a scattered sense of constant panic because it's going to be really hard to just get through the day when we're like, (gasps) you know. (laughs) So in the Summer Parent Activist Accelerator is six weeks, the way that I've designed it. If you're DIYing it, here's how, here's, I'm going to give you a few things that we cover, although unfortunately I cannot cover an entire week's worth of work, resources, and guides, and collective action (laughs) in, in one hour podcast. But in week one, we get radically honest about our motivation. That's the central core idea that we kick things off with. And what's really good to know before we move forward is that our rights are never guaranteed. And this, so this is not, and never will be over. So, um, if you want a DIY thing so that it's one and done, you never have to worry about it again. Um, you want simple problems 
uh, simple answers to very complex problems so you never have to deal with this again this is not the place for you because the way that these uh, accelerators are designed is that we come back to these questions and we check in with ourselves to make sure that we're working with integrity every single year it gets faster it gets easier um just like you know riding a bike i'm losing metaphors it's very hot right now <laughs> but um, it's not something that you can be like, oh, I, I did what I can to solve ableism. I did what I can to um, assure our reproductive rights. Nope. It's just even when we have a majority in whatever lawmaking space that we are working towards, even when we have the legislation we need passed, it is something that we have to maintain. And, and I like to think that this today's, this week's awful gross news is a good reminder of that to kick us into gear and so let's spin this in a way that instead of sending us into a panic of futility and hopelessness let's just remember oh right instead of doing big bursts of energy we'll just go at the pace we can and trust that those who work with us and alongside us will also go at the pace they can we will leave space for our friends to retreat and go radio silence when they need to take care of themselves and their families, and then we will trust that they will be there for us when we need to take some retreat. Meanwhile, for those of us who have the time and the energy to, I don't know, push gently forward, um, or run screaming forward, <laughs> um, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing this summer. Okay, so um, yesterday, R2 had celebrated his eighth birthday. It was the day after school ended for the summer. And yesterday came with a whole bunch of big transition changes. And the in the winter accelerator, we talk about ritual and the importance of pomp and circumstance for the beginning and endings of things. And we talk about how there's grief with you know, as our seasons are changing, we we let go of something. And R2's talking about how he's like I will never be a second grader again. Like, that's over. That that part, period of my life is over. He's now entering the upper elementary grades. He's leaving behind. This is his first birthday party where he didn't invite all of his friends from preschool. And he's, he's noticing his body is changing, the way he thinks about is changing, the stuff he likes is changing, who he interacts with, and what he does in the time he has with the people he cares about it's all changing and there's a little bit of sadness and grief there which is important because <laughs> it was important his life before now and it deserves to be grieved and it deserves some reminiscing um but with that any kind of transition especially in an autistic family um, even if you're not autistic yourself there's going to be some stress with the transition so my kids are super wound up they are bickering over the most petty bullshit uh, <laughs> and I I spent at least four hours yesterday just mitigating fights facilitating things and not telling my kids what to do but making space to help my kids regulate and then say hey I know you're upset about this and you know like when you're upset about something you keep repeating it over and over and over because you want to be heard and you want people to understand why you're upset and I can do that. I can repeat back to them that I understand why they're upset. But try and get your sibling to do it, that's going to be hard because they're also dysregulated. And their goal is just to win, to win the petty bullshit. <laughs> um, so sometimes we have to separate them or sometimes we just have to to break through that to kind of end that 
cycle of being completely outside of your window of tolerance, one of the things I do is I remind them, hey, who are you? Because I know that we, we are the Ray family. We are Rays. We are courageous and kind, and that's what we center our entire lives about, around. Now, what you just did, hitting your brother, breaking, breaking his cup, whatever, is this who you want to be? We know who you are. We know that you are constantly in the process of becoming. Who do you want to be, and what behavior does this person do? Now, you can't unbreak that cup. You can't unpunch your brother. But the person you want to be, what action do they take after they've made a mistake? What, what core values are you centering your actions around and keeping an eye on while also completely overwhelmed? Like, what is, what is your, your North Star, right? How are you orienting yourself? Next to the transition of ending school, the transition of becoming a year older abruptly through a birthday, the transition of having a whole new set of friends in the house, the transition of um, going from completely isolated, wearing a mask and never leaving the house, to having people in our house. That's just a lot, especially for those little itty bitty brains. So I keep reminding myself that I don't, I don't control my kids. I tell them, I don't control you. I don't control what you're about to do. But I do want to remind you of who you are and who you want to be. Um, and who you said you wanted to be because we confirm that as we're walking home from school in the last day I said you know this is going to come with some identity changes you no longer identify as a second grader as a fourth grader you're going to identify as someone older you're going to identify as someone who's you know not new to school as not someone who's completely defined by certain things but defined by new things (laughs) um And this is why it's really important that I have the kids state and restate and reassess frequently what are the core values that we return to? What are our shared family values and what are you as as individuals? What are the values that you're going for? So last summer when we did this exercise, I asked the kids, okay, what is your goal? And Q was like, I want to be happy and helpful. And that's delightful because there's always some fear when you give your kids freedom to make their own direction that it's going to be an asshole move. It's going to be, I just want to be happy. I just want me to be okay. I want all the candy. But he chose happy. He chose happy and helpful. And I'm very proud of that. Um, And then R2, of course, his goal for the the year ahead, ice cream. His goal was ice cream. I don't know if it was obtaining ice cream. I don't know if it was becoming ice cream. His goal was ice cream, and we have actually hooked into and remembered that value, (laughs) that goal for the entire year, Um, whether we were learning math, whether he was learning how to read, whether he was focusing on his relationship with his brother, on learning basic, basic grooming and table manners, we would return to his core value of ice cream. (laughs) And for, you know what, because it came from him it always motivated him to do whatever he needed to do in a way that he felt true to himself and like he was working from a sense of integrity, even if it wasn't necessarily what I wanted him to do. Um, He did not have to worry about being a hypocrite. He did not have to worry about getting distracted by too much petty bullshit because he kept those eyes, (laughs) kept those eyes on that ice cream. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. Before we get into it, I did want to give a quick shout out to our community. Um, so many, as we're 
part of working on the Summer Parent Activist Accelerator is it has to be responsive to the season, to the members in it, to our community, uh, because we are working through a transformative lens. So even those who can't participate with us because they're busy, because they just don't have the spoons, the time, the resources right now, um, we've got a lot of great feedback on how to make it more accessible for them next year or how to make it more accessible for people like them. So thank you so much to Shannon and Linda and Rachel and Allison and Carrie for um, sharing feedback and advice and hesitations and concerns, which led to direct updates on the policies, even mid-enrollment, because we're still enrolling period right now. I think we have three spots left. <clears throat> and we went from um, having year-long access to the resources and the, the whole digital portal and all of the videos, recordings, whatever we're going to have. I was going to have that so you have access to it all year long and then that would end in summer and people can re-sign up next year but we decided that that might be too much stress and it would be more accessible to people if people had lifetime access for as long as I can keep that portal up whether it's 20 years from now or whenever I go bankrupt and can no longer afford the hosting fees but the idea is that people have lifetime access they can um, so that way the registration fee for this year they can be um, get access next year and keep coming back to this stuff in the summer. That's more in keeping with the seasonal, cyclical nature of what we're doing. Oh, I don't know if you can hear the noises, but in keeping with the fact that yesterday was a birthday party, we have kids sleeping over and there's a gaggle of rambunctious children swinging, bouncing balls around, slamming open doors, and just doing that like, I don't know, the sound of geese. That's just coming and going and slamming doors and in and out of the house. Followed by my partner being like, where's the cat? Did the cat get out? <laughs> so, noises. It's an enthusiastically crappy podcast, and that is what you are here for, right? Um, Mid-shout-out. I was in mid-shout-out, sorry. <laughs> um, oh, and we're also doing... <sighs> Hold on, let me reticulate my splines. We were also doing... Um, in the winter... In the winter incubator, we really focused on live hangouts. It was really important because so many of us were feeling so isolated, particularly those with younger children who weren't vaccinated yet. Um, so many of us just needed a chance to connect with other people during a very dark, dreary, cold, f freezy time. Um, so when I was gathering feedback for the winter incubator, everyone was like, the live hangouts were impactful. They were wonderful. That's the one thing you should definitely keep for next for the next time. And I took that advice and I was like, great, awesome. Forever and forever, we will have live hangouts every single season. Plus I'll add other stuff to make it seasonal. And then I realized that I'm doing the exact opposite than what I said we're supposed to be doing, which is tailoring what we do and what we provide and how we show up for each other to be accessible for the season of life that we are in right now. And the season of summer involves people traveling people having spotty Wi-Fi, people having um, kind of mixed up schedules because we don't know if kids are going to be at camp, if kids are at home, um, whether or not people will still have their jobs. So for the Summer Accelerator, thank you so much for all the feedback. Instead of really focusing on live hangouts and making sure that that is the mandatory place where we show up for each other, we're going to focus on asynchronous hangouts, uh, mostly using um, the video chat app Marco Polo, which is awesome and fun and that's how I develop all my best friendships so I as a person who like when someone tries to teach me a new board game and they read the instructions or tells me to download a new app I'm like heck no I do not have the bandwidth for that 
If you join the accelerator, I will teach you how to go through the app. It is very, very simple. It is quite enjoyable and fun. And then you will just know how to do that and you can keep in touch with everyone asynchronously at your own time, whether it's 2 a.m. or 7 a.m. or some other ungodly time when people should not be awake. Um, and even I'm mostly going to consume and be recording these out on walks. You know, keep that cardio up. Anyway, so that's the, those are some adjustments. And we are still open to concerns, hesitations, and other policy ideas to make it accessible for everybody, particularly in keeping with the summer. Um, Kat sent in this really great newsletter feedback about how she listens to the podcast in five-minute chunks and has to pause. So I'm wondering... I listen to podcasts in five-minute chunks, and I pause, and that's not a problem for me, but for anyone who find that's frustrating, finds that frustrating and really wants to be able to listen to entire podcasts in one go, let me know, um, because I'm happy to break this up into a series of five to 15-minute podcasts each week. I don't know how I would do it. I would figure it out, but if that seems more accessible, I'm interested in hearing. Okay. And then just sending love in difficulty to members of our Luminary Brain Trust, Anne and Bellamy and April and Jillian. We are here for you. We see you. We are holding space, not trying to solve your problems, but trust that you will be able to like get through hard times and be remain awesome, I guess. Yes. So shout out to everybody. <sighs> Who shows up? Okay. So, oh, what is the problem? What is the problem? What were we talking about? <laughs> What is today's episode about? I'm not sure. Um, I guess the... Oh, right. The tragedies. <laughs> oh, right. Those. There's there's just children screaming. There's so many doors slamming. It is so distracting. I... I yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> the problem with these unrelenting, crashing waves of tragedy is that they derail us and distract us. We were already doing the best we could, right? We were already working towards our own initiatives that theoretically, if, if we can keep pushing at them, they would make a rippling deep impact farther out, even if we're not directly on the front lines of abortion rights and reproductive health care. If we work on freedom and accessibility and getting people what they need so that way they can work on that or they can ripple out and do their good work, it will make an impact. But when you're getting this relentless feed of news and hot takes and oh gosh what do we do when these link lists of resources and petitions and places to donate not saying we shouldn't do those things but at some point we get so many that we end up in this this inertia spiral we end up um you know if you're doing the fear and freeze and flight and fawn response to just overwhelming input um I don't know for me some of it gets I get slower I get tired and it just the idea of moving forward seems impossible so here's how I've gotten through this when I find myself derailed and scattered by too much tragedy when I find myself outside of my window of tolerance where I'm starting to panic um when I find myself not doing what I need to do to fight for revolution um, even just basic stuff that has nothing to do with the tragedies at hand. Um, what I try and remind myself is that I don't have to be derailed. I don't have to become complicit in the hierarchy. And I also don't have to feel bad about having a very human reaction to what is really, really freaking horrible and scary. 
Um, for me, I've been having flashbacks and kind of in a loop thinking about the many times when I have um, luckily had the choice for reproductive health care, had the choice um, to have an abortion or not have an abortion. For me, having I've been pregnant four times <laughs> and I have I have had people advise me um, to end pregnancies that were not going to end well regardless. And but they didn't force me. I had a choice. They gave me um, for my second pregnancy with my daughter Thisbe, they gave me misoprostol, which is a drug that lets you um, induce an abortion so that way you can end the pregnancy, get back on your whatever next infertility cycle because you're running out of eggs and you're running out of time and also it kind of clears things out. It's like an eviction notice for a fetus. Um, I had the choice not to take it. It was an option for me it would be would have been safer if I had taken, but it was ultimately my choice. And when I ended up in the emergency room, losing over half my body's blood, um, with people monitoring my organs to make sure that I didn't fail, and just sorry, this is getting a little graphic, but it was it was graphic, um, gushing everywhere in labor. I had the choice as to whether or not I had um, a DNC, which is the traditional mechanical methods of abortion where they um, dilate your cervix, open it up, and then scrape everything out. And that would have been safer for me. Um, it would have set me in a healthier path before I got pregnant with with my first surviving child. Um, but I, what was important is that I had the choice, and it would have been. It was already traumatic. It was still, it was already really hard to lose this B. But to have the choice to be able to say, no, I don't want to risk scarring, or I don't want to, I don't want to let her go just yet. I want a couple more weeks. That's what made it different. That's what made it something I could survive through. And that's what made me a better mom today with less trauma and less pain. So when I think about the fact that people don't have choices over their bodies, that's what's going on in my brain. Um, even though it's on the complete opposite side, people should have the right to end a pregnancy, period. It is your body. Um, and people should also have the right not to, not to be pressured into an abortion, right? So what, what are we doing when a small screaming minority believes that they are chosen by God or whatever sky daddy is up there? And they have the right to police our bodies and control whether or not we survive and whether or not our children survive and whether or not we get to um, stay alive to keep our existing children alive or stay alive long enough to have children in the future in a place where we can actually provide them with what they need to become who they need to be and contribute to society. It is terrifying and panic-inducing on top of the trauma of having to choose for an, um, for your future family, right? So we have to think about how are we going, how do we derail ourselves and become complicit in the hierarchy? And how do we become just swept up in those waves? How do we simultaneously s stop fighting enough that we can just start floating along and find a place of safety? But also how do we keep fighting in a way that we're not just swept out to sea. This is too much metaphor. I think it might be too much. Whatever. Go with it. Um, so that scattered response that I'm having, at least, that panic, um, has been weaponized 
to feed on my outrage and fuel because the first thing I want to do is I want to go to Google and I want to Google all the things and I want to donate money and I, <laughs> I want to panic and also I want to hide and eat a lot of carbs. So, um, but what I'm looking for is not, I'm not looking for how do I dedicate the rest of my life to medical rights and, and justice, right? What I'm looking for is quick fixes because I want a, I want a quick relief from this sense of panic and loss of control. And those are the people, the people who are offering the quick fixes, the people who are offering, if you elect me, um, I will drain the swamp, that kind of stuff. Um, those are the people who are profiting off of this outrage, off of this panic. So we got to take a deep breath, center our core values. Who are we? Who do we want to be? What does that look like? What actions do we take today and tomorrow and the day after that? What small actions are we tweaking so that way we can work towards that long-term plan? Um, but the idea is when we have that knee-jerk reaction of Googling really quick fixes, which is we need responsive people to do quick, fast action, but for those of us who are, we just can't do that, um, we need to remember that that idea that systemic failure falls on the individual and that we should just be panicked and guilty and overwhelmed because we didn't do enough before is is what keeps us from taking action. So how do we get past that and just get back into it and keep taking action, whether it's small action, whether it's just talking to our children, whether it's advocating, whether it's funding, um, you know, whisper network abortions, whatever you need to do, what keeps us reading and scrolling and searching for escape in the form of purchases, entertainment, and you know, whatever the, the self-care industry, the commercialization of self-care, how do we resist that and go down into the deeper, slower work that actually we can sustain long-term? So how are we refusing to get derailed? How are we identifying, um, how are we identifying st stuff like Facebook or Meta or whatever, the people who, who are refusing to talk about, they're not letting their employees talk about abortion, right? How are we, um, de-investing from these spaces and, it's really hard. We have like the Luminary Brain Trust is on Facebook. How do I de-invest from that space? De-invest? That's it. There's a better word. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> um, while also knowing like that's the only space I can go right now to hold the Luminary Brain Trust because I don't have time to build an entire online portal. So what is the long-term plan? What small actions am I taking? So a year from now, six months from now, we can get off of Facebook. We can get off of that place that spreads in misinformation and facilitates it. Um, what are we doing to fund journalists who are actually looking at how this works? How, what are we doing to protect healthcare workers and scientists and people with uteruses and trans kids in the meanwhile? Um, so as we DIY our summer parent activist accelerator, we have to remember how are we doing things differently here where the process is different than the process that led us to this point. So one of the things we do is we're not focused on goals. We're, we cannot be focused on the results because the results clearly are horrifying. And if today and this week's news made or break broke us, make or break us, whatever. If we're gonna let the results make or break us, we're just not going to survive because the results now and into the future will frequently be horrific. But if we focus on the process and how are we getting there, then that is something we can control. Uh, we're not ignoring our daily responsibilities. We're not pretending that 
because we need to mobilize and get into the streets and we need to pass legislation and we need to donate money um, and we need to take more house seats or goodness gracious at least try and protect some of the ones that we have um, we're we we can't pretend that we don't still have to get dinner on the table for the kids and we can't pretend that we don't still have to struggle for childcare and time to work um, so what we need to focus on is not more action but different action and just integrating it into what we already do so what if we create a process to recenter our core values to get us back to baseline when we're panicking and so that way as we go throughout the day those small little choices that we do have control over are centered towards bending that long arm of justice towards the direction that we want to go but and also what if we refuse to take ourselves too seriously what if we refuse to say just because I teared up a little bit talking about my dead daughter um, this has to be a serious podcast and I can no longer google I refuse to stop laughing about the human experience. I refuse to stop laughing about the somewhat goofy, ridiculous experience of being 11 weeks pregnant. Um, just like I refuse to stop laughing as I was giving birth, death, what is it called when stillbirth to her? Like on that table, blood pooling on the floor, and I was still laughing, and that's how we survive, right? I've never, emergency room doctors were, were very happy about surprised impressed delighted slash shocked at how much fun I was having and so much pain and so much trauma and tragedy so what if we refuse to stop laughing about this um okay and then what if we equip parents ourselves with simple accessible tools to take action um, because when someone says go do this huge thing that you cannot possibly do instead of shutting down or if we say I can't do that hopefully someone else can but I can't do this <sighs> okay so as we said it's the end of school there are birthdays there are children zipping around my house smashing into the walls um, my kids are upset about getting rejected by friends who don't show up to the parties who don't want to come to their birthday parties um and this it, part of the thing that makes this so heavy part of the thing that makes horrible things in the news and bad legislation and bad judicial decisions um hold so much weight is because we have usually because we're kind of checked out for the rest of the time like unless something big is happening unless there's a presidential election unless there is a pipeline threatening to burst oil all over indigenous lands we're just kind of checked out how we get dinner on the table what time we put the laundry into the machine um when we make it to the laundromat that stuff seems to be the profane whereas the sacred that that activism the social work the politics is 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 almost removed so what are we doing to integrate those two spheres where there is no sacred and profane there is everything that we are doing as a part of the human experience and a lot of it is ridiculous and goofy and a lot of it is arguing with kids to like clip their toenails and wash their hands gross gross and they're starting to smell bad good gosh okay <laughs> um but what if instead of the end of school and birthdays being the pinnacle of our kids lives every day had a little bit of the sacred built into it brushing their teeth clipping their toenails had the sacred and they understood the importance of how the little decisions that they make are tied in 
to the way that they connect with society, right? Maybe it would be a little bit easier to deal with these what we call the bigger transitions because that's not the be all end all. If you think about, you know, that concept of a bridezilla, someone going just just a lot who's being a, a lot being very demanding because they have a wedding everything is riding on this this is the biggest day of their life and they're only like <laughs> in the first quarter of their life most of the time and no wonder why you would get so upset over tiny things like flowers and party favors and where the chairs are if everyone up to this moment has been telling you this is the biggest day of your life and after this is just a long march into death so <laughs> If things, if specific parts of our lives feel like high stakes, if specific um, decisions by the Supreme Court, by politicians, make or break our rights, and we're not doing thing, little things every day to secure rights for ourselves and those we care about, then of course this is going to induce panic. I don't know if I wrap that up nicely. I hope I do. But the point is... If we can integrate activism into every day, into every parenting decision, we will be able to weather this harder stuff, this bigger seeming stuff that the media pays attention to because we already have a plan on how we're still fighting for justice. And it's really easy to forget that this is a process and the reason that we do this is to be in the process. We're not doing this so we can arrive at a utopia. We're doing this because the process of fighting for justice and freedom and mitigating suffering is the process of being alive right like because otherwise otherwise are you are you do you want to be an an involved active part of the human colossus do you want to be activated or do you just want to slide by and and ride on the coattails of your ancestors I don't know that sounds that sounds like a sad life to me I'd rather be in, in the fray so instead of forgetting who we are and who we want to be and getting pushed and pulled by these big waves and these little setbacks um, that completely floor us, that we we end up lashing out and bickering over the tiny little details about. Um, Instead of getting caught up in all that, what if we constantly, constantly recentered our core values and thought, okay, I don't control what the Supreme Court justice thinks, but I do control what decisions I make today. And if I make those decisions today, the next Supreme Court, Court justice will hopefully be able to undo some of that work, right? Okay, so as we're orchestrating birthdays and supporting my kids through transition, I too am getting caught up in these things and I too am being petty. So this isn't a before and an after, it's just a const- constant decision that we go through every single day through our lives (laughs) I don't know I'm getting a little lost it's hot again and there are children screaming and laughing and murmuring it's wonderful and also very distracting (laughs) so what we focus on right now whenever you read like um, many parenting books articles all of these things are about results right When, when we're doing activism in a modern In our modern culture, everything seems to be focused on results. Pass this legislation so we can get this. Um, Raise kids who identify as resilient. Raise kids who know how to play basketball. I don't know. I'm not paying enough attention. (laughs) I don't know how to parent. (laughs) But so if we remember that raising leaders without knowing why we want to raise leaders leaves us vulnerable to focusing on the results. 
it also leaves us vulnerable to getting distracted with busy work and overworking and spreading ourselves too thin and even if we're we decided we're only going to work on climate justice and we're going to make sure that climate justice incorporates healthcare rights it's very easy if we forget why we're doing it to be like, uh, let's put the climate justice work on hold. Let's put the anti-racism and the anti-ableism and the anti-sexism on hold. And let's just focus on uh, reproductive health care right now. But we're not experts on that. We haven't been working towards that. And it's good to understand it. It's good to incorporate the concerns in the long distance goal um, to make sure it's accessible in what we're doing. But if we keep switching our focus, we're not going to get anything done. So when we're focusing on results-based parenting instead of process-based parenting, we're focusing on goals. Like goal setting is great. It's fine. Um, We're going to talk about it in week three of the accelerator when we talk about futures work and having an idea of where we're heading so that way we can create a path to get there. But we can't confuse goals and values. If we focus on on goals like that that eyes on the prize eyes on the ice cream (laughs) um then it's going to be there are so many different paths to get to a goal that we're going to end up backtracking switching lanes moving back and forth and we're going to forget that we chose a certain process we're choosing a values-based process to get there because you can get to pass any law through a sense of um, highlighting goals of supremacy. These people are smarter than those people. These people should make the laws. I will work on these people. They will make the law I want. Or you can focus on a value instead of supremacy, on kindness, on inclusion, right? And you can still get to that same law, but you get to it in a way that you get to behave with integrity and you get to model for your kids how you want the world to look and how you want people to behave in relationship with each other moving forward. So if our core values take into account who we are and who we want to remain throughout the journey to get there, when we don't get the results we want, it's not going to knock us down. Um, When our kids don't get the results they want, it's not going to knock them down. (laughs) And that's what I mean by resilient, raising somewhat resilient kids, I hope. I don't know. Is that that what that means? (laughs) Because goals are always going to be a fantasy. Um, Even if we achieve them, they're still, they're still, they're murky around the edges. Um... So we want to raise kids to focus on the process, not results, because it's really hard to get an eight-year-old to focus on like when you grow up, when you can't even comprehend what it is like to be a grown-up, but when you grow up, you want to be someone who doesn't hit, who stays cool when someone's being a jerk to them, who um, ends injustice everywhere, whatever you want to do. That is so hard to grab their brain around that they're they're going to choose ice cream, <laughs> right? You need if, unless the unless the goal is small and finite, it's going to be hard. But if you can point out that we are raised, we focus on, we move with integrity through courageous kindness, curiosity, um, and when we're when we're deciding what to do next, we think what is the most courageous path, what is the most kind path, and then it's a little bit easier to just to keep going in that same general direction. And that way, success in our reaching our goals doesn't 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 it's not irrelevant (laughs) it's definitely helpful it feels great it feels great but if we have success and we're not focused on the values um we'll just be like great we won that and then we'll get back up and we'll we'll just pick a new goal right um so that's not that's not something that we're just we don't ever arrive but what we are doing is raising leaders to care for those they have power over right 
We want them to strengthen relationships. Um, we want to make sure that they're not just, they don't see leadership as just getting the most out of people, making the most money, getting the most productivity. Um, we want them to collaborate with people and model a better way of being. Now, unfortunately, when we think about um, let's instead of focusing on goals, which are nice and tangible, you can make a gorgeous vision board, you can make a Pinterest thing, I don't know. But when you say you're focused on values, it gets a little bit less tangible somehow, um, which makes it harder to be to motivate you. But because results are the things that people see. And we give a shit about what other people think of us. And we think about like, when I achieve this goal, everyone will think I'm cool. <laughs> when I achieve this goal, everyone will think I'm a good parent. It will feel amazing. <laughs> That's just nonsense, though. Oh, what other people think of us is none of our business. So, but trying to achieve, to achieve results is just going to end up with us scattered and overwhelmed and exhausted and ineffective. <laughs> um, and you know what? I think, I think it's too hot and I think I need to be responsive to the weather and the amount of noise that's going on. And I think this needs to be the first part of a two-part podcast. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw up. I'm not going to throw up. <laughs> podcasting is hard <laughs> saying words uh, I'm not going to throw I'm going to throw in I guess our section on good ideas to avoid and then hopefully next week it won't be 95 degrees <laughs> and I'll be able to finish up the tools and the resources and the I don't know the linear structure on how to start focusing on our values and reminding your kids to operate and decide based on values over goals but for now let's get into a good ideas to avoid and then I'll just end this and I don't know, go sit down in a tub full of ice. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm probably just gonna just gonna eat. I'm just gonna eat a lot of ice cream. Okay. Boo boo. Really oh, oh, I did find a song. I did find some music. Hold on. I found <laughs> I found a little thing on the anchor app that lets me add in interludes. So there's there's a little interlude of music, which means it's did it, did it, did it. Good ideas to avoid. Oh, what is that? I put in the title. Oh, I'm I'm getting delirious. Heat index science drama. Good ideas to avoid. Okay, so Bellamy was pointing out that um, down south it was 88 degrees outside, but supposedly, according to the weather experts, it feels like a hundred, which makes me wonder who decides. Who decides that it feels like a hundred degrees, and then. I got a little delirious as I am now. I barely understand what I'm talking about, but I was like, what if who like cuz it has to be hyperlocal, right? Someone in Boston cannot decide that <laughs> in Greensboro that it feels like 100. You have to be there cuz you have to feel it and you can't have a robot do that because only humans can do the feeling, right? <laughs> and don't tell me. I know that there's probably some scientific algorithms and a whole bunch of machines that figure this out for you, but I do not want to know. Do not ruin the mystery for me. What I am imagining is that every 15 miles, <laughs> every like square 15 miles or so, there's one human who is in charge of the heat index and they, they just step outside of their office or maybe they have an outdoor office. They lick their finger, hold it up to the wind. They maybe like, they put like a paper bag underneath their armpits to test, you know, like what is the dampness factor there? And then they decide after a rigorous, a rigorous training, a PhD in training on what the weather feels like. These hyper local uh, elected, appointed experts on weather 
they tell everyone <laughs> it feels like 100 degrees. I like that. I want it to happen. I know that's not how it happens. Please do not correct me because it is just, it is feeding my soul right now. Now, with this imaginary network of science experts who feel the weather subjectively, they're like, 88 does not feel like 88. You know what this feels like? 100. 100 point three Fahrenheit degrees (laughs) but what if now that we know that these people these imaginary people who do not exist now that we're pretending (laughs) pretending they exist let me set the stage it's 30 years ago no one has ever heard of a CSI style drama crime mystery and if you told someone hey what if what if we had an hour-long TV show with a bunch of middle-aged people and they are scientists and they are crime scientists and they collect fingerprints to beating music like like Bonobo and they <laughs> and they dust for things and they have test tubes and there are montages and they do things like enhance that video and then they enhance the video and then they run like fingerprint database searches that only take 10 seconds even though that's not none of this is how science actually works and they spray things and chemicals glow right if someone had said that back in the 80s they'd be like that sounds like a really boring ridiculous idea for a tv show no thank you but then we hit what is it the 2000s early 2000 late 90s and they're like you know what's a great tv show csi this is so great we need (laughs) we need multiple shows about science nerds doing science and solving crimes we need some we need one for miami we need one for honestly i don't even know but i know that they had more of them okay so what i'm saying is while it sounds a little bit out of there to have heat index science drama tv show like that sounds out of this world nonsense consider it consider that this may be the next big thing right because (laughs) I'm not going to spell it out for you, people of Netflix, Hulu, whatever. You can make the shows. You can worry. Screenwriters can figure out the details. But what I'm saying is this is a fantastic idea for a TV show. But also a very good idea to avoid. Because imagine it. Okay, so you have like, they zoom in and enhance. And then they're like, this person, I can tell that they died based on evaporation. (laughs) Based on who I'm sweating. Right now I can tell that my hair is damp and it is not working for me today and therefore based on this humidity I don't know whatever whatever the things the wind chill (laughs) I don't know I don't know why it always comes back to murder but that's what people care about so like they'll have psychometrics and do points and there'll be like montages and fancy music in the background and everyone will be very dressed up and scientists rule wear high heels to their jobs even though it's very uncomfortable and they have to walk a lot and get on their feet and they'll be merchandising like kids will want you know we have those like csi detective forensic lab kits that we sell that people sell in those fancy science stores for smart children (laughs) we'll have toy hydrometers and wet bulb thermometers see i didn't even know what those exist that those existed a little bit ago but then I just wikipedia it real quick <laughs> merchandising is what I'm saying you can make bank off of this um, and then it turns out that there's corruption in the heat ind- indexing industry and oh no and again are these people appointed are they elected I don't know but either way it could make for some a fantastic like a whole season story arc right and then of course there's going to be the spin the spin-off like there'll be heat index boston the wind chill killed this freedom trail tour guide <laughs> which it sounds boring i get it i get that it sounds boring but it could be awesome 
And then they'll solve the mystery of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist by measuring the humidity rings and like, I don't know, the chairs. <laughs> and then, of course, I, I want credit for this. If not money, then I will star, I will be the star scientist because I feel like I'm hitting that age where I can be the star. I can be like the, the, the wizened aged mentor scientist and I will like stand in front of that muddy kind of sluggish Charles River right in front of the harbor and I'll rip my sunglasses off. They'll be wraparound sunglasses like the ones with the colors and then I'll be like, um, oh, what is it? What does that guy with the orange hair in my CSI Miami say? He always says something, and it's embarrassing. I feel secondhand embarrassment, secondhand embarrassment for it every single time. But I'll whip off my glasses like him, and I'll say my catchphrase, and it'll be like it was the wind chill that carried this guy. We're gonna have to measure the humidity. Grab my hydrometer. <laughs> this is falling apart. <laughs> it's falling apart. <laughs> All I'm saying is I really want to rip off my sunglasses and say something not dramatic in a dramatic way. <laughs> but then, I have sold this for you. This is really worth picking up. Please please call your friends at Netflix to make this show happen. Because at the end season, spoiler alert <laughs> in this podcast now if you don't want it, AI comes for our jobs, takes over the heat index, and once AI can feel the weather for us, like sure, technology can measure the weather, but it can't measure how it feels. That's that's my argument. That's my argument for humanity. <laughs> but once AI figures it out, our jobs are gone, and then it's like three days until the singularity, and then everyone dies. The world crumples. This is my optimistic nihilism speaking. The world crumbles, nothing matters, and there's something very soothing about that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I wasted seven minutes of your life on this. <laughs> Okay, until next time, where I guess I'll finish the thought about the actual tools and how we how we examine our core values. It's actually kind of fun using something called anti-values. <laughs> until next time, when I do talk about that, please stay safe, stay hydrated, <laughs> and get all the fucking abortions you want.